So for the last several weeks, we've been in this series called Identity Crisis. And uh, our identity defines us. Everything flows from our identity, our values, uh, our sense of self-worth, our behavior, our actions, our motivation. It all flows from our identity. And as Christians, if we get our identity from anybody or anything other than Jesus, well, we're going to end up having an identity crisis. And so we've been looking through and going through the book of Ephesians. We've been challenging you to read a chapter a day, six chapters uh, each week. I hope you've made some effort at doing that. And we're gonna go, we have a few more weeks left, so you'll have plenty of opportunities over the next few weeks to just keep reading through the book of Ephesians. But today, in this point in the letter, we're going to look in chapter 4. And it's at this point in the letter that's really a turning point. And Paul is going to begin uh, really saying, listen, this is who you are in Christ. The first three chapters of Ephesians, he said, this is your identity in Christ. And the last three chapters of of Ephesians, he says, this is how you live out of your identity in Christ. And today is kind of the hinge on which he's going to turn the corner. And he's going to say, listen, because of your relationship with Jesus, you've been transformed. And you're a new person, and you have a new identity. Don't we love stories of transformation? I mean, think about it. If you think about uh, popular television shows like uh, Extreme Home Makeover or The Biggest Loser, there's something powerful that we love about seeing something old become something new. Isn't there something just really powerful about seeing transformation happen? That's why I went into ministry, because I wanted to see and be a part of lives being transformed much the same way my life was transformed by God. So we love transformation. Well, today in Ephesians 4, uh, the passage you just read, you may have noticed that Paul is going to use an illustration to describe uh, what spiritual transformation looks like. And the illustration is basically uh, changing clothes. He says, he's going to say, take off the old and put on the new. Now, I've got a three-year-old little girl named Selah. And uh, she, uh, if you know anything about three-year-olds, right, uh, moms, dads, this is a point in time where they're starting to learn how to uh, dress themselves, aren't they? And uh, while this can, bo- this can be a really fun time, it can also, for parents, be really frustrating. Yes, amen. So, because she wants to change her clothes, she wants to put on her clothes, she wants to do everything by herself, she wants to put her shoes on by herself, her pants, her shirt, everything she wants to do by herself. And of course... She doesn't really know how. I mean, she does get some success. She does get things on, but most of the time, they're not always on the right way, you know? Oftentimes, the left shoe's on the right foot and the right shoe's on the left foot, and sometimes the pants are backwards or the shirt's backwards, or she puts the uh, hand through the uh, neck of the shirt. The other day, she was putting on her her, uh, little underwear. (laughs) I can't believe I'm telling you this. My wife would not be happy. Um... She's putting on her underwear, and she starts walking across the room, and Paige starts laughing. She goes, Kevin, look at this. And she had taken, somehow she had gotten, like, both legs through, like, one hole and like, her underwear. And so she was like, it was just, it was hilarious. <laughs> and you, like, you say, hey, honey, can, come here, come here, let me help you. And what's the answer? No, right? So it's fun and frustrating to learn how to change your clothes. And the truth is, there's some real spiritual lessons there. That spiritual transformation is a lot like learning to, tra- to change your clothes. It's a process, and it's difficult, and it's not fun. And so for the last few weeks, we've been talking about your identity in Christ. We've been saying live out of your identity. But the truth is, living out of your identity is difficult. It's a challenge. It's a struggle to be spiritually transformed. And so today, I hope and I pray that God would encourage your heart. 
as you seek to continue to love God and be transformed by Him, I pray that as we look into Paul's letter here in this text in Ephesians 4, that God would just encourage you. Or maybe some of you need to be corrected or rebuked, or some of you need some comfort or some hope. I pray that uh, God will really use this verse today in a powerful way. Well, let's dive in. Um, verse 17. Let's look at verse 17 through 18. Ephesians chapter 4, if you have a Bible, if you got them, let's stick, uh, stick with them and let's look there, uh, read along with me. So I tell you this and insist on it, Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, Paul says, in the futility of their thinking. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Paul says, listen, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, who are the Gentiles? Well, in using this term to Gentiles in this particular t- context, Paul is talking about the non-Christian or the, the person who is not, uh, does not find their identity in Christ. They're not a Christ follower. Now, some of you are sitting in this room and maybe you're searching, maybe you're seeking. Uh, one of the reasons why you're here is because God's doing something in your life, but you're not quite sure what he's doing. And if you were honest, you'd say, you know what, I'm not a Christ follower yet. I'm still searching, I'm still seeking. That's okay. We're glad you're here. But you're going to hear Paul say some things about the non-Christian that may seem a bit insensitive or harsh. It may sound like he's belittling or criticizing the non-Christian. He's not. He's not. He is trying to remind the readers, those new Christians, those Christ followers, of who they were before they were Christians. Because before they came to know Jesus, they were Gentiles. And he's going to talk to them about a spiritual reality and some of the realities of being transformed spiritually. And so I, if you're not a Christ follower, I hope that you'll just, pray, uh, just listen with an open heart and an open mind. And ultimately, I hope that, um, that God will speak to you today and show you that Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, so he's writing to Gentiles who are basically non-Christians. He says, don't live like they do. He says they're darkened in their understanding. What does that mean? Look at that. He says... Uh, they are darkened in their understanding. Well, we've, all had, we've all experienced uh, points in time in our life where we don't fully understand something or our view of something in life isn't quite clear. In the ancient world, light was often used as a symbol for understanding. In the New Testament, light is often used to describe a life-giving relationship with God. And Paul says, listen, the Gentiles, the non-Christians, they don't have a relationship with Jesus, so they don't understand. There's a lack of understanding for the non-Christian. They are spiritually blind, is what he's saying. John Newton was a crass Navy sailor back in the mid-1700s. And John Newton at one time mocked and ridiculed Christians and denounced God as simply a myth. But through a series of events in his life, he came to know the Lord, converted, and became a Christian. And he would later go on to write the well-known hymn, Amazing Grace. The first two lines that John Newton wrote in Amazing Grace was this. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And Paul says, to those who do not know Christ, they are spiritually blind. And I want to draw your attention to that phrase there, separated from the life of God. They're darkened in their understanding, and they're separated from the life of God. That's a really key phrase. That word separated means to be cut off from or to be shut out 
from one's fellowship or intimacy. Our sin, when we choose to live life apart from God, we're cut off from the life of God, and we're cut off from understanding the ways of God. And this is how the Gentiles were living. And quite frankly, it's how the majority of people in our life and in our world today live. They live apart from relationship with God. And I find even oftentimes Christians try to live life apart from that relationship. And Paul says that this is a life of what? Futility. He says it's futile. It's a life of ignorance. Because living in relationship with God is the only true way to live life. And Paul says to the readers, the elder Christians, he says, don't live like them. And he goes on to explain how Gentiles live. Look at with me in verse 19. He says... Having lost all, sense, all sensitivity, they, th- those who don't have a relationship with Jesus, have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Now, Paul mentions a few sins here. He mentions sensuality, impurity, and greed, but he's getting at much more than just those few sins. He's alluding to the root problem. And it's not just a problem for the Gentiles. It's the root problem. For you and for me. It's the root of all of our sins. It's the root of every member. It's the root of the problem for every member of the human race, except for Jesus. And the root of the problem is our sinful nature. Now, remember, Ephesians is one long letter, right? And so Paul is just building on what he has written earlier in the letter. Let's look what he wrote earlier in the letter in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, As for you, You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Again, even back in chapter 2, do you see how he's been contrasting? Followed, you used to, it's a past. He's saying in your former life before you knew Jesus. Look at verse 3. All of us, all of us, every one of us, all of you, all of me, each of us have lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. The old NIV and some versions say the cravings of our sinful nature. And following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Listen, the root cause of all of your sins and your struggles, the root cause of all of my sins and my struggles is our sinful nature. Pastor and author John Piper says, we need a Savior not just because we have sinned, but because we are, by nature, sinners. And this is a significant and foundational truth that God has been even impressing on my own heart as I've been reading through and studying through Ephesians in the last several weeks. And it's this. I fall into the same trap that I think oftentimes many of us do, and, and, and it's, this, it's this lie we buy into. We think that we're good people, but we just have a few sins that need to be cleaned up and overcome. That's not true. The Bible says none of us are good. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned. We don't have a few sins to overcome. We have a sinful nature that is rebellious, that needs to be completely taken off, and a completely new nature in Christ needs to be put on. We need a total and complete transformation. And see, even for the most sincere Christian, the most sincere Christ follower who loves Jesus, and many of you are that, Because of our sinful nature, our hearts naturally gravitate towards selfish desires and selfish motives. And this creates a great struggle within us, doesn't it? I mean, haven't you found this to be true? The good we want to do, the things we know we ought to do, we struggle to to actually carry it out and do it. 
because our sinful nature pulls us in the opposite direction. And there's this fierce battle within us to try to actually live out of our identity. Even Paul had to deal with this. Remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 7? Maybe you may be familiar with this passage. We're not going to look at it. I'm just going to quote it for you. He says, uh, well, we're going to look at it in just a second. He says, Romans chapter 7, he says, uh, the things I want to do, this was Paul speaking in Romans 7, about his own sinful nature, about the battle, about living out of his own identity. Here's what Paul says. The things I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. I have the desire to do what is good, Paul says. But I cannot carry it out. You ever feel like that? I do. You ever want to be a good parent who's patient with your kids, but when the moment comes, you find all of a sudden there's this intense battle in you to want to unleash fury on the child, right? Or you want to be a good spouse, and you want to show grace, and you don't want to keep a record of wrongs, but it's really difficult to carry it out sometimes and follow through, isn't it? You get around a person at work or that family member or friend, and every time you're around them, you don't know what it is, but they just make you so angry. And then you tell yourself, you've done this, don't, we all have done this, on the ride over, in the car ride over, you're driving over and you say, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to get angry, I'm not going to let that person get angry. You tell your spouse, I'm not going to get angry. I'm, I'm not, not going to let them get to me. I'm going to show love and kindness and patience. And it's hard to carry it out, isn't it? And you've told God over and over again, maybe that you're not going to commit that sin anymore. And you've made a sincere commitment, and it's sincere. You've said, Lord, I, I don't want to commit this sin anymore, this sin I keep committing over and over again. But the temptation comes, and you sin again. See, we have this desire to do what is good, but it is a fierce struggle to carry it out. And the, the Apostle Paul can relate to you. He knows how you feel. Listen to what he says in Romans 7, verse uh, Romans 7, verse 21. He says, so this, I've, this law, so I find this law at work. He's saying, this is the reality I've experienced. I think we can relate. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me. Do you see? He's talking about the old self and the new self, the old nature and the new nature, Paul or Christ in him. And here's what he says about those two natures. He says, they're, working, they're, they're living in me. They're waging war. That's some pretty intense language for him to use, isn't it? They're waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. He says, it is a fierce battle to live out our identity in Christ. And then he says, what a wretched man I am, Paul says. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Who will rescue me? Verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I myself and my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature I'm a slave to the law of sin. He realizes, listen, I want to do good, but it's a struggle to carry it out. My hope, he says, ultimately isn't in myself, it's in Jesus Christ. He's saying, I don't even put faith in my own faithfulness. My faith is in Christ. It's through Christ that we have even an opportunity or a new way of life has been offered to us. In fact, let's look at Ephesians uh, the, chapter 4. Let's look at the next verse, 20 and 21. He says, for the, Christian, we've had a, we gotta, for the Christian, we have a new identity. We're called to live a new way of life. And look what Paul says, verse 20 21. He says to the Christian, listen, that is not the way of life you learned. He's talking about the Gentiles, the former way of life, the life uh, lived in the flesh, in the old nature. He says, 
Uh, that's not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Now, let's leave this passage up here. He says that way of life. It's not the way of life. What does Paul mean by the way of life? He means a lot of things, but I think you could boil it down to this. Paul means the way of life is an intimate relationship with God. The way of life, the secret to life, the only true way to live is to experience the kind of relationship that God wants for us, to experience the kind of life that God wants for us, and that happens in the context of an intimate relationship. Even Jesus, listen to what Jesus, in John 17, 3, this is how Jesus uh, uh, defined eternal life. Jesus says, now this is eternal life. Jesus saying, this is the way of life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom whom you've sent. Jesus says, eternal life, life is knowing God and Jesus Christ. Now, this is really important. If you have your Bibles and you like underlining or circle, I want you to circle the word know right there. This word know is just a powerful, I think, uh, life-changing word. You know what that word know, know is? In the Greek, the word is gnosko. And gnosko is a knowledge grounded in personal experience. Or it can mean to be intimately acquainted with someone. Listen, uh, like a lot of guys my age growing up, I loved Michael Jordan. Anybody else, anybody growing up just loved Michael Jordan? All right, yeah, I've got some MJ fans. All right, that's good. Just do it. I can be like Mike. Um, I was all in, right? I played basketball when I was a little kid, and so I loved basketball. I had the shoes. I had the Jordans. I had a couple different pairs of those. I can't, looking back, I can't believe my parents let me spend that much money on those shoes. Um, but I had the poster. I had the jerseys. I loved to watch him play. I would go so far as to, I would stay home on Friday nights and not go out with my friends, and I would watch his games, or if I missed one of his games, I would record it, and I'd go back and watch it on the VCR. Some of y'all don't know what a VCR is. I would go back and watch it on the VCR, and uh, I'd study his moves. I'd go back in the backyard and I'd practice his moves. I'd have the tongue hanging out of my mouth and I would count down. And I wanted to be like Mike. Now, I must admit, at times I would take this really too far. I did research on Michael Jordan. I found out, I used to read stuff about his childhood and about where he grew up and about uh, his story and his brothers and his relationship with his brothers. I, I know his birthday. His birthday is February 17th. It's a little weird that I know that. But I, I, I came across that once. I never forgot it because my birthday is February 3rd. You can mark that on your calendar. And, uh, and I just thought it was neat. I thought it was neat that, uh, that my, MJ and I shared a birthday together. I thought that's kind of, you know, we're two weeks apart. That's some kind of connection with him. <laughs> so weird. When you're a kid, you think that, right? When I was a teenager, I thought, man, MJ and I are close. We sure. Now, but here's the truth. I knew a lot about Michael Jordan. Did I, do I know Michael Jordan? I don't have a personal relationship with him. I'm not intimately acquainted with him. Listen, um, there are a lot of Christians, a lot of people who call themselves Christians, a lot of people who have been in church for years, and they know a lot about God, but they've never personally encountered him. They don't have an intimate relationship with him. God desires intimacy with us. Jesus says, this is eternal life intimacy. And here's what's fascinating is Paul, remember last week we talked about Ephesians chapter 3 and the prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians 3 and he prays. What's he pray? He prayed, remember the prayer? He prayed that they would know, that we would know the love of Christ. He talked about how we pray, we would know the love, the height and the depth and 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 how deep and high and wide and long the love of Christ is, right? You know what word know Paul used there? Gnosko. 
Paul prayed earlier in this letter, just a few minutes earlier in this letter in Ephesians 3, that you and I, that the readers, that we would personally experience the love of Christ, that we'd be intimately acquainted with the love of God. So if you don't catch anything else today, I don't care whether you are a brand new uh, Christian, whether you're still seeking or whether you've been a Christ follower for 40 years, I want you to be reminded this today. The way of life is intimacy with God. Now, let's keep reading. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, Paul goes on, he continues. He said, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by these deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And, verse 24, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says, formerly, you didn't know Christ. You didn't find your identity in Him. You didn't have intimacy with Him. You didn't have a personal encounter with Him. In fact, some versions, when they say, when you heard about Christ, uh, they actually, uh, a couple of versions, NASB, ESV will translate it, that you actually heard Christ. It's not just that you've heard about Christ and were taught in Him. It's that you heard Him. It's that He met Him, that He spoke to you. And so Paul's saying, listen, before Jesus ever encountered you, before you had a relationship with Him, you need to take that whole old self and put it off. And instead, you need to put on the new self. Now, taking off and putting on is a two-step process, right? It's uh, two sides of the same coin. Um, for a three-year-old, sometimes they just take off. And, um, but it's important that you take off and that you put on. Uh, but what's it look like? I mean, what's it look like on a day-to-day basis? Well, Paul's going to give us some examples here in the next several verses. In the next several verses, he's going uh, to lay out, here's what it looks like to live the old life. Here's what it looks like to live the new life. Here's the old self in action. Here's the new self in action. And as we read through these, I just want you to uh, see the difference in how he contrasts the two. Some of you might remember um, several months ago, uh, I think it was back in the winter, actually. Last winter, we did the Follow Me series. Remember that? Back in February. And we looked at Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about the same issue. But there he uses the terms flesh and spirit. Remember that? And he says, don't live in the flesh anymore, live by the spirit. Well, Paul said today, don't live in the old self, live in the new self. It's the same thing. He's, using, he's talking about the exact same thing. He's just using different language and different illustrations to make the point. So let's look at verse 25 through 32. We're just going to walk through this together. And we're going to look at how uh, taking off the old and putting on the new looks like. Verse 25, he says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Let's pause right here. The old self is what? A liar. The old self is a liar, but the new self is honest and tells the truth. If you find yourself, listen, if you find yourself right now living a lie, you're living in dishonesty. There's something in your life, and even as I'm saying this, you think, oh, maybe he's talking to me. There's something in your life right now where you're just not being honest about. I want to challenge you. Stop lying and tell the truth. Take off the old Put on the new. Let's look at the next, next example. Verse 26. He says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, notice Paul doesn't say, uh, don't get angry. Right? That's not what he says. Anger is not a sin. Anger is emotion. But it's what you do with your anger. It's what, how you respond. And listen, I have struggled, um, I've struggled with anger. This is an area of sin where I've struggled, and um, 
just the other day, I was having a conversation with somebody, and something they said uh, made me angry. And uh, anger is usually a secondary emotion, and really what happened was they hurt my feelings, and it manifests itself in me getting angry. And so I got angry, and I find myself right there in that moment. And I find myself wanting to do good. I want to be patient and kind and overlook what they said and not be heard and show grace. But, boy, everything in me wanted to unleash and talk back and, and speak some critical words to them and hurt them back. And so I, so here's a practical example. I was trying to, you know, when you preach on this stuff, like, you have to try to live it out, right? And so uh, it's, it's kind of a safeguard. Um, and so you, uh, so I'm, I'm like, okay, I got I to gotta put off the old and put on the new. And so I, so I left the room, and I walked in the other room, and I tried to cool down, and immediately what I thought to myself was, okay, James 1.20 says this, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so I know that verse. I've memorized that verse for years. God's used that verse to speak to me. And so in that moment, I'm praying, and I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, I know the ang- my anger will not produce the righteousness that you desire. And so I'm saying, Lord, I don't want to give in to this anger. I don't want to go back out there and, and, and aim some words at them and, and unleash the fury. I don't want to give in to the anger. I don't want to let my old self... I don't want to wear those clothes. So would you help me? Would you help me just not be angry? Would you help me show grace? And so a few minutes went by, and I went back out, and I did my best to, um, you know, relieve some of the tension and, and restore peace in my own heart and in the conversation. Here's what I've learned. There's always a moment. There's always a moment where God whispers, you have a choice right now. There's always a moment to either Choose to keep wearing the old clothes or to take them off and put on the new. There's always a moment where we can either do what our selfish desires and motives want to do or we can allow Christ to live in us and through us. But we have to make the choice. And then we have to live by faith that the Holy Spirit will give us the power and the grace. But it's difficult. It's not easy, right? Changing clothes for a three-year-old is sometimes fun but mostly frustrating, but it's a process. It's, this is what, how God transforms us. Okay, let's look at verse 29. Uh, verse 29, Paul says, uh, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to the needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So he's saying the old self, what's the old self do? The old self tears people down with words. If you find yourself criticizing and judging others, making fun of people, especially through passive-aggressive sarcasm. I have found our culture, I I do this, I'm around people all the time, right? The the most deceitful way we tear people down is we passively, aggressively make sarcastic jokes about others. The truth is we're tearing them down. It's coming out of the flesh. That's the old self. You find yourself gossiping about others or talking about someone else's life, you're living out of the old self, and it's of no benefit at all. But the new self, the new self speaks words of life that builds others up and benefit those who listen. Proverbs says that our words have the power of life and death. And so take off the old and put on the new. Okay, next verse, verse 30. Paul says, next, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander with every, every form of malice. He says, get rid of it all. Let's leave that verse up there just for a second. Here's what he says. All of those things grieve the Holy Spirit. That's all the old self. That's all the old nature. He says, I'd be able to identify it. Right? There's victory today if you're just able to say, okay, I understand that those things are the old self. Just identifying it is a great step of victory, a step in the right direction. But don't just identify it. Throw it off. 
Move away from it. And he says, that's what, that's what it looks like to live in Here's what it looks like to live by the Spirit. He says, instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ Jesus we were uh, forgiven. God forgave us. Next weekend, we're going to specifically talk about the topic of forgiveness, and so I hope you'll come. But did you notice that how Paul hits just about every sin category in verses 25 through 32? I mean, he walks through sins of attitude, our uh, actions, our words, our character, our priorities. You see how the old self and the new self directly contradict one another and how it is a battle? I need you to, we, we need to know. Living the Christian life is not easy. It's difficult. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. It is fairly simple, but it's not easy. It's difficult. Let me ask you this. Which do you find more difficult? Taking off or putting on? Right? Which is more easy? Identifying the sins that you need to lay aside and this old nature lay aside, or is it easier for you to see what you need to be? I don't know about you, but for me, it's easier for me to just identify the sins in my life. In fact, I read this week, uh, Christian uh, recently said, he said, uh, the average Christian spends too much energy taking off the old, but not enough energy putting on the new. That's true of me. I don't know if that's true of you. But the truth is we, we've, got to do, we've got to do both. Okay, now I want you to know, what Paul's given us today, what we've looked at here in this passage, are examples of what it looks like to take off the old and put on the new. They are not a list of do's and don'ts. Remember, the first half of the letter, he said, here's the foundation. The foundation is your identity is in Christ. This is who you are. You're not trying to earn your God's love or earn your salvation or earn your self-worth or, or self-value. If you have heard this today and you're starting to go, okay, uh, this is what I need to do, this is what I don't need to do, and you're starting to make a list, you're thinking in the old self. The point isn't a list of do's and don'ts to live out of. The point is that this is how God works in our lives. You want to know what God's will for your life is? We've talked about it today. This is how God wants to work in our lives and how God wants to transform us. So it's not a list of do's and don'ts, but there are some principles that we can learn. And so in your notes, we are going to quickly look at three principles of spiritual transformation. Three principles of spiritual transformation. Number one, first, transformation happens in relationship. Transformation happens in relationship. You don't take off the old and put on the new all by yourself. It's not a matter of trying harder in your own strength. Author John Ortberg, longtime author and pastor, says spiritual transformation involves both God and us. It's a cooperative effort. And so when you find yourself in that moment trying to make the decision to take off the old and put on the new, talk to God. Engage in conversation with him. This is why prayer and Bible study is so important. Listen, we don't want you to just read the Bible because like, we, we don't have anything else to tell you to do. Like, it's so important. Like in that moment, when I got angry, the fact that I have spent some time and energy in my past studying the scriptures and knowing James 1.20 says the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In that moment, the Holy Spirit, God is able to use that verse to speak truth to me in that moment. And so when I turn to him in prayer, he takes the word that's written on my heart and speaks it back to me. And then that's when there's power, for, power happens. That's when I have something that I actually have some hope that I know what to do. The word of God gives us what to do. And so it's why, that's why we've got to be in the God's word. Romans 12.2 says this. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do we have that? Maybe not. Okay, I'll just quote it. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God says, listen, this is a relationship. This is a partnership. I want you to partner with me in being transformed. I want you to partner with me, but you got to know my word. you got to know my ways. Get into God's word. Spend time in there. But ultimately, no, it's not God's word that transforms us. It's the relationship. God's word is the tool and the truth that he uses to help us. Second principle of spiritual transformation is that transformation is a process. I think this is probably where we all need the most amount of encouragement. Number one, taking or uh, number two, transformation is a process. Taking off and putting on is not just a one-time event. Wouldn't that be easy? Like, wouldn't it be easy? You give your life to the Lord and then boom. Like, you don't have to struggle with sin anymore. That ain't the way it happens. Uh, I mean, if, if that happened for you, come talk to me afterwards. But that's not the way it happens. Now, it does happen at the moment of our commitment to Christ. When we entrust our lives to Christ, when we repent of our old way of life and we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we are transformed in that instance. We are made new. That's what Paul's been talking about for three chapters. We find our identity in Christ. But learning to live out of that identity is a process. It is a pattern. Taking off the old and putting on the new is a pattern by which Christians live. Transformation happens over a lifetime. It happens on a daily basis, but it's a one-time decision, but it's also a daily decision. If you try to measure the amount you've been transformed in just weeks or months, you look at your life in a matter of last weeks or last several months, and you think, how much I've been transformed? You're not going to see much transformation. You're going to be discouraged. But if you look at your life, it's true of me, I bet this is true of many of you. And I hope this encourages you today. If you look at your life and you think, five years, five years ago, I am much, I'm a much different person than I was five years ago. Ten years. See, God measures, by his measurement is, is a lot uh, longer than ours. We have a microwave mentality. We want to see transformation happen now. God says, I'm using your entire life to transform you. Listen, he could snap his fingers and completely transform us. And sometimes, uh, to some degree, that does happen. I was able to give up a couple vices that I had when I immediately gave my life to the Lord at 24. But, but for the most part, God has slowly transformed, slowly transformed me and he transforms us over time. And here's why. You know why? Because if he transformed us immediately, we wouldn't need him. We wouldn't need him. And the truth is, more than the transformation, he wants the relationship. And so he says, I'm going to do this slowly over time, so you keep coming to me. Because I want the relationship. I want your heart. I want you to live in dependence on me. I want you to be desperate for me. Because he knows that when we're desperate for him, that's when we truly seek him. And then he says, yes, I've got your heart now. And this is what I've wanted from the beginning, is intimate relationship with you, with your heart, with your life. I wanted you to seek me and seek intimacy with me. Okay, but he does want to transform us. And the reason why he wants to transform us is to purify us. That's the last point. Third, transform, third uh, principle of spiritual transformation is purifying. This is in your notes. Transformation is purifying. Look at verse 24. This is a really cool Uh, I thought we needed to hit this before we leave. Verse 24, do we have it? Uh, Ephesians 4, 24. He says, Paul says at the end of this uh, middle there, he says, now listen, the goal is to put on the new self. This is what the goal is. This is what we're moving towards. We're putting on the new self. He says this this phrase, created to be like God. 
and true righteousness and holiness. You ever thought that you were created to be like God? Here's what that means. The Bible says in Genesis that we were all made in God's image. And being made in God's image means that we were made to reflect His glory. That ultimately, we were made to be like Jesus. That in His humanity, while here on earth, Jesus was man as God intended man to be. And that's who God wants to transform us into. And every person, every person struggles with the sinful nature. But God never intended us, God never intended for us to live with a sinful nature. But everybody, from Adam and Eve to you and me, has rebelled against God and we've sought to live our lives apart from Him. And in doing so, we've all inherited that sinful nature, that fallen nature. I'm going to read this quote as we begin to close by Kay Arthur may recognize her. She's a Bible teacher and author. In her book, Silver Refined, here's what she says. A metal worker, she describes a metal worker who patiently refines ore to produce pure silver. She says, he will begin by crushing the lump of ore into smaller pieces and then places them in a crucible and sets it in a fire. Some of you are in a fire right now. And you have some stresses of life bearing down on you. And God's got you in the fire and he's wanting to purify you. She goes on to write, gradually the impurities of that silver rise to the top of the molten metal and the metal worker skims off this dross. He repeats the process again and again throughout the day, keeping a watchful eye over the metal. And then finally, he bends over the crucible. And this time, It catches his breath because what does he see? There it is. He sees what he has been waiting for so patiently, a clear image of himself. This is what God hopes to do in each one of us as he purifies us and he transforms us into the image of Christ. Listen, living out our identity is a challenge and a difficult and a struggle, but there's hope and there is a way if we will partner with God, if we'll seek that relationship and we'll trust that he is taking all things. Romans 8 says he takes all things in our lives and he uses them for our good. And the next verse, which we often fail to quote, is that he uses all those things to conform us to the image of Jesus. If you're sitting here today and you don't have a relationship with the Lord and you said, you know what, I'm just seeking. I've never made that decision to entrust my life with the Lord. I've never given my life to him. I'd love to talk with you after the service. Make the decision today. Don't leave. Hear the Lord's voice. Follow his leadership. Give your life to the Lord today. I'll be right up front afterwards. I'd love to, love to talk with you about your relationship with the Lord. If you're sitting here today and you just want somebody to pray with you or pray for you, maybe, you are, uh, maybe you're experiencing some challenges right now and you're, uh, you're struggling against the, uh, the forces of spiritual transformation, and you want somebody to pray with you, I'd love to pray with you as well. Um, but uh, let's stand. And let's sing. And let me pray for us. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that um, each one of us today has heard his voice. Father, I'm thankful that you're a God who loves us and that you're a God who cares about us and that you care enough to transform us. 
I pray, Father, that each one of us, um, that we're encouraged today, that we will continue to turn our hearts and our minds towards you, that we would seek our relationship with you, that we would seek intimacy with you, that we would partner with you, join with you in the work you're doing in us and through us, Lord. I pray, God, that you give us the grace and the strength to take off the old and to put on the new. Lord, you are making in each one of us something beautiful, something beautiful in each one of us where each of our lives reflect you and your glory, Jesus. Our hope is in you. We look forward to seeing you face to face. We pray this in your name. Amen.